Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield as Susan is covering the Syngenta Media Days. Excited to see some of the latest and greatest products to come back from that. Continue watching for more of her reports. Talking the trade with us today is Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing. Brian, I'm excited to have the opportunity to discuss today's action in the market with you and really kind of take a broader look at what's going on. I start today, though, we get a nice upturn in the soybeans and we see corn and wheat trying to follow along as best as it can. And it looks like the U.S. harvest is moving along at a very brisk pace, according to the latest USDA crop progress data. What are you making of harvest right now? Are you hearing good things from farmers or is it one of those further the west, the drier it gets? Both. So so let's start with this. Um, harvest is moving rapidly along. Uh, we're going to, uh, I guess, make the point it's sort of on the tail end. So you got 76% of the corn harvested. Um, it's a little bit ahead of the uh, pace last year with 73 and 64% on average. So good progress, more progress to be made this week. As far as yield results, it, it really is a mixed bag of bolts this year. I would tip the needle toward a little better than expected the last week or 10 days. But this is a stretch that, if you might remember, back in August, there was a couple waves of good rains through southern Minnesota, western Iowa, into Wisconsin, into um, the northern half of Illinois. And that's that's where I'm hearing these yield results. Now, when you get further west, it gets more variable. I hear farmers say, I don't know where it came from. We didn't have much rain, but I'm, I'm not complaining to, yeah, this was pretty lousy looking and it just didn't have it this year. We didn't have the right mix of rain and this and that and the other thing. Um, soybeans, 88% complete. They're again, variable yields. If you got the rains in August, farmers are pleased. If you miss some timely rains, yield numbers are off. And consequently, the USDA probably has both numbers in the right ballpark on their yield expectations near 172 on corn. Uh, we expect that'll probably be again confirmed on the um, on the November, I think it's 9th next USDA report. Exactly. And that is going to keep a lot of traders, a lot of farmers on edge. What is USDA going to do? We've seen them kind of turn some numbers this year already. Uh, Brian, early thoughts there going into it. You already feel like USDA is kind of at that number. Do they hold pat here or do they try to go ahead and readjust? They'll readjust. They continually readjust. The numbers are always dynamic until you get the last report. So every, every report prior to that is new information and new adjustments. Um, I don't think there's any kind of like behind the scenes going, well, we need to move things up or down dramatically. The last, you remember the last report was, was here in October. That's a pretty good look at the market. You've had the pro farmer tour, DTN digital tour, a lot of private estimates, a lot of looks from satellites. It's just, you know, one of those crops where when it boils down to it, if you look at the weekly crop progress and ratings, 21% of the crop was rated poor to very poor at the start of harvest. That shows up, and that's that's going to show up in a lower across-the-board yield. It's a good guide. It tells us that there are just areas that are not going to recover, whereas in other years, sometimes we have a lot in the good or excellent or a bunch in the poor, I mean the fair or the good category. If those slide a little bit toward the, the, the bigger crops, that's where big crops get bigger. I don't think anything's getting bigger this year. It's just fine-tuning. 
And we're focusing really on the supply side of this market, which given we had drought last year in in South America, that kind of helped to spike it, poor growing conditions in the U.S. That has kind of helped to maintain some momentum back up to the top side. But now we're starting to rethink our supply estimates here just a little bit. We look back to South America. I go back to IMEA's estimates there on Mato Grosso, Brazil's uh, and Mato Grosso. They're estimating right now that they've planted around 83% of that crop in that state as a whole for Mato Grosso, but they're looking closer to being closer to about 46% complete for soybean planting in Brazil. Looks like conditions are really going well. How is this affecting traders' mindsets, and are they wanting to maybe try and bring this market back into into perspective a little bit? Great question. We've had some good up move in the beans here lately as well. Um, uh, when I say lately, yesterday and then again today, in particular today, a lot of short covering, some technical buying. Uh, but the backdrop of this is you step back and look at what's expected out of the world. So you were kind of drilling down on those specifics, but it really tells us that as a whole, we would argue that the Brazilian crop is probably on schedule and there's not enough weather right now to be very impactful other than anticipating normal crop to above normal. That means 152 million metric tons out of Brazil. It's getting a little dry in the north of Argentina, and the most recent forecast today shows net drying in Argentina and Brazil, at least in the short term. So planting will probably finish up, but then we start getting to where the rubber hits the road. We start getting to mid-November to mid-December, and we start seeing the trend of weather patterns. That's when really the dry started to take place last year on the La Nina pattern. And there's some private forecasters who are suggesting, look, this is still going to be a net drying pattern. La Nina is still in force. You only have to look at the USDA drought monitor map to confirm that. So it's going to get interesting. But the bean market, we think, is finding support in good domestic demand, a good uh, meal demand market, good crush pace, and a lack of farmer selling. Now we just need to see exports surface greater on a day-to-day basis. But if you like, take a look, without being too wordy here, last week's export sales were very conducive. And export inspections, despite low water in the Mississippi, were outstanding uh, yesterday. Brian, we've got about 30 seconds here. I throw this one to you. Looking to Brazil, civil unrest starting to come around some of their major cities, disrupting some logistical flows of commodities across the country. Does that really play long-term, or is this more of a short-term impact? Well, well, typically the, these are short-term impact-type things that come and go. Uh, but, yeah, interesting news out of out of uh, Rio de Janeiro today, according to the Associated Press. Uh, uh, the police called in to basically unblock roads that were blocked um, uh, based on the election results. So anytime you get this sort of stuff, it creates initially some, some wave of buying elsewhere, and that's here in the U.S. Will it last? Only time will tell, but I doubt it. And again, is Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing. Don't go anywhere. Coming up in segment two, we talk the Fed, interest rates, and the macro market picture. You're listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Again, Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield as Brian Doherty. Total Farm Marketing talks the trade with us here today. Brian, I focused a little more on fundamentals and individual markets as it uh, replies to the grain complex in segment one. Coming here into segment two, though, I kind of start at the 30,000-foot view, and that's with the Federal Reserve going into their FOMC meeting here today. They end it tomorrow, likely to see another three-quarter of a percent interest rate boost from a 
a managed money perspective, another interest rate may be already factored in the market. But if they come out and continue to be hawkish and wanting to raise more interest rates later on in 22 into 23, what does that do to the commodity picture? It does a couple of things. One, money flow is really important. So, so that's one thing to think about. So if you look at the equity market itself, uh, and I'll specifically, I'll, I'll zero in on the Dow Jones, what that chart looks like, a big double bottom in September and October. Uh, so that means you hit a low, and then we put it on what's called a bullish key reversal, went up some, dropped back, same low, matched bullish key reversal, and we've been up since. Today we're working on an outside market where the range so far is larger, and then right now we're trading a little bit lower so if it if it if it closes lower i think it's going to send a real air of caution through the equities you lose enthusiasm when that happens when when the equities you know take a nosedive that's not generally beneficial to commodities maybe in the long run you might see dollar shift in the commodities but you'd like to see the expectation that world economies are have bottomed out or on the place to rebound and consequently export improvements may be likely um there isn't a real close attachment necessarily to what the Fed does and what commodity markets do. You'll see a sort of a disassociated attachment to it in general. But suffice it to say, if they stay hawkish and they raise interest rates, in theory, the dollar is going to continue to keep pace upward as well. When the dollar goes higher, that generally means all else being equal is more challenging, more expensive for importers to buy from the U.S., that would be the bigger concern is that we say at three quarters or maybe in a full point in the market views, that is another reason for the dollar to move upward. From the on-farm perspective as well, raising interest rate increases, and we saw today farmer sentiment continues to dwindle between Purdue University and the CME group. Uh, with higher interest rates, where does that put the farmers? Does that make them a more aggressive seller or does that make them more cautious in the marketplace? Uh, that's a great question. It, I think on the old crop, it makes them more cautious, and they want to be a little more aggressive selling new crop. They don't want to watch that disappear, but the new crop price is trailing the old crop price significantly, so you have an inverted market both in corn and soybeans. So what it really has left the producers are sort of frozen right now. They don't want to sell new crop even though they feel that they should cover. They don't want to get caught with... 625 or 650 corn and almost $14 beans to be much lower down the road with inputs rising and interest rate costs and the cost of doing business. On the other hand, it's a unique year where corn prices and bean prices were much higher than, you know, in spring and early summer than they are now. And consequently, a lot of farmers took advantage of that. They sold into that. And so right now they're looking ahead going, I better be careful how much of this old crop I sell because I need to make sure that I've got you know capital on hand to cover my new crop expenses if the trend moves higher. So it's, it's really an odd place historically where we are. Um, but time will tell. Time makes farmers create decision-making processes. Right now, there's no farmer that's urgent to sell anything right out of the storage bin that he just put it in. And definitely an interesting take and one that will continue to watch develop as we go further into the year and see what the Federal Reserve does say coming out tomorrow. Of course, when it comes to an international look at the trade, the Black Sea is hard, is a hard topic not to have some sort of discussion on. It's all the rage over the weekend coming into Monday's trade, maybe starting to back off a little bit on Tuesday, but it sounds like Russia may be trying to come back to the table. Do we see all of that premium get taken back away if Russia goes ahead and puts another safe haven corridor in place? I, I, I don't 
No, is the honest answer, because it's hard to guess what politicians are going to guess when they say something like Putin said something. Then he came back and said something different. He said, well, it's it's back on the table. And yet the wheat market really hasn't budged much. Now, it is trading about four to five cents higher on the Chicago wheat today, still holding those weekend gains. And I think where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of blockade. There's a lot of ships not moving. There's just a lot of uncertainty in that part of the world with a war that is escalating. I don't think anybody wants to necessarily take Putin by his word. So it just has to take some time here to play this out. More importantly, you need to look at winter wheat conditions throughout the world, as well as what Australia, they've had too much rain lately in areas. What the actual quality of exportable wheat looks like now and moving forward, and it still remains visibly tight. Brian, we appreciate all of your time today walking us through the trade, walking us through what's happening right now. For folks to learn more about Total Farm Marketing, what is the best way to go about doing that? I think the best way to go about learning about us is to maybe look on our website, so totalfarmmarketing.com. But if you have any questions or would like a quick uh, sort of sounding board, the best way is to call us and give us a shout at 800-334-9779. We'd love to field calls and answer questions. That is Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing, joining us on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Thank you to Fontenelle Hybrids for their continuing support. Do remember, trained futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing.